Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, title of the talk is Taking the Focus Off Me. And as I said before the, uh, the break, um, this is a, a follow-up to last week's talk, uh, which I, I called, uh, Who Are You Anyway? Um, Attachment to Identity. Mm. I was mentioning last, last time that... that there's so many different um, ways that we identify with ourselves, with who we are. Um, And uh, this is the central challenge of uh, the Buddha's teaching, to see through this self-identification. We have so many different Images, self-images. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm successful. I'm a loser. I'm not good with money. I'm clever. I'm an artist. I'm so I'm creative. I wish I could be more creative. And there's no end to it of who I am. I'm somebody who fill in the blank. First about image, how we hold ourselves. And then there's also the whole range of um, roles that we find ourselves in or identify. I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a son, daughter, brother, friend. Um, I'm um, a teacher, I'm a police officer, I'm a homemaker, I'm a, you know, and again, on and on. Not that those are bad, obviously. I mean, we, it's, it's great to find something that fits for you and expresses who you are in a skillful way. If you're doing something for a livelihood, right livelihood, one of the factors of uh, the Eightfold Path. If you're involved in a right livelihood that's fulfilling and that um, contributes to others particularly, it's so, you're so fortunate. It's such an inspiration to find your gifts, as Martin Seligman, uh, the, the father of positive psychology, says that um, the, uh, that true happiness comes from identifying our gifts and then finding a way to express them in the world and contribute to others. Uh, and, and so whatever job you have or role you have um, is something that's important and, and to be honored. So I'm not saying, oh, you should just give up all your roles uh, or give up or not be 
um, holding yourself any one way. Um, but often we become so identified with our roles, that's who I am, and missing a deeper part of who you are. Hmm, I'm just remembering now. It's, uh, there's, I've mentioned that Be Here Now is a book that changed my life, and uh, I haven't thought about this in ages. <clears throat> there's, one, there's one page. How many people have read Be Here Now? There's one page, the brown pages, the Dharma wrap in the middle that blew my mind and opened my heart. There's one, one page where there's a, a, a guy and there's, um, there's the clothes of a police officer and the, and the clothes of a, a hippie and the clothes of like a number of different possible roles. And, you know, basically it's saying, you could put this one on and think of yourself one way, or this is a role and you, and you think of yourself, and it can be interchangeable, which reminds me another stream of consciousness thought in my mind. Uh, Steppenwolf. How many people ever uh, read Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse? If you remember, the, it goes uh, magic theater for madmen only. And uh, what is it? Harry Haller, I think is his name, uh, goes into this kind of psychedelic um, uh, reality, goes in one door, he's, he's one, has one incarnation, Try, tries that out for, for a while. Whoa, that was pretty intense. He goes in another door, completely different life, and on and on. So... It's both to honor the role that you have or the different roles that you have, uh, but not to identify with them so much that, they, uh, that you miss the essence of who you are underneath all of that. I'm, are you with me? Is that, that, you're, that makes sense, right? So, um, as uh, uh, one meditation teacher, Jack Engler, says... Uh, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody. And if you, you get into Dharma practice and think, oh, the idea is to be nobody and I'll give up all my roles, sometimes your ego sense is, um, is not strong enough that it's, it's important to see, okay, this is my gifts, this is who I am, and you have a strong, uh, healthy ego not egotistic, but a healthy sense of self, and then letting go of all of those roles uh, can be a real um, relief, release, unburdening, and then you can play at the roles. You can play at being wife, police officer, whatever you are, artist, whatever. You can play at it, and there's a, a, a whole other level of lightness. However, often, and this is where the problem comes in, often when we identify with this sense of self, it is accompanied by a kind of self-consciousness. And often there is a, a smallness that accompanies this sense of self. 
where there's not that freedom that says, oh, this is the, the game that I'm playing, being James the father and teacher or whatever, just the game I'm playing. But there's, in the comparing mind, and I have many talks on Dharma Seed on the comparing mind, the comparing mind or the judging mind, uh, because I'm so familiar with it, I'm something of an authority on the judging mind and comparing mind, that um, in that comparing there's a less than or not as good as or even superior uh, what is called the conceit of I am. And uh, I've shared this, I I share it on retreats, uh, uh, a quote from the Buddha where he says... uh, one who thinks oneself equal to others or superior or inferior, for that very reason disputes. But one who is unmoved under those three conditions, for that person the notion equal, superior, and inferior do not exist. For one who is free from views such as these, there are no ties. For one who is delivered by understanding, there are no follies. But those who grasp after views and philosophical opinions such as these, they wander about in the world annoying people. That's where we get into trouble in that comparing mind. Even if you're equal to, as it says, there's still that sense of separation and and sense of self. But all of that is uh, the product of not just comparing, but somehow contracting where there's a smallness. It limits the fullness of who we are. So this is where self-consciousness comes in, not being enough somehow, their insecurity, uh, feeling exposed, I'm going to find out, being an imposter is a, a book I, I, I love to tell people about. If you ever feel like an imposter, uh, is a great book, Uh, the imposter phenomenon. If I'm so successful, why do I feel like a fake? Um, Anybody ever feel like an imposter? It's a... You have a lot of company in it. And I went through my life, first part of my life, very much feeling like an imposter, uh, where I, I would be found out and discovered. So this is where the problem comes in with this identification. And that's where I said, you know, who are you anyway? Uh, See who you are uh, beyond all of these roles. So um, where that comes from, that feeling of not enough or uh, identification with role, there's a fear in some way. It's fear that's that constricts the mind and constricts the, uh, the, the, the bigger picture and somehow it solidifies and contracts into this sense of little me. Um, and when we're, we're focused on little me or even just focused on me, um, Trouble follows. This is what the Buddha was talking about when he said, see through this sense of self. 
but it's it's coming out of a sense of of fear in some way. There's a beautiful book by Jerry Jampolsky, a classic. It says, "Love is letting go of fear." That when we're not caught in that small mind, what naturally radiates out of us is our true nature, a, a loving being. So when we're focused on me, we are intrinsically being caught in a, a, a quality of separation and and it's fear-based, at least what I've seen. Even if you say, I am great. Not if you say, ah, how wonderful to feel all the goodness in me and let my light shine. I'm all for that. But if it's, I'd better show everybody how great I am, that's fear-based. That's very different than how wonderful the gifts that I've been given that I can share with the world. And what gifts do you have? And just appreciating the uniqueness. So you can see the difference between the fear-based, oh, I hope everybody can see how good I am and looking for validation, as opposed to, oh, this is who I am and just delighting and letting it shine. If you find that you are, that you have a tendency to wonder how you're doing and how other people are seeing you or relating to you, then this is the the place um, to explore and is really a key to opening up to the fullness of who you are. Not taking it personally, oh, what a mess I am because I'm always looking for approval, but, oh, this is the human condition. This is, this is what most everybody does when they're not genuinely at ease and free. This focus on, how am I doing? Am I good enough? What do people think of me? Probably a few of you can relate to those thoughts. Um, And that fear keeps us highlighting I'm not good enough in some subtle way. Anytime we are looking for validation, even if we don't realize it consciously, if we're somehow looking externally to be okay, um, then it keeps the focus on here, even though you don't want it to be on, on, on here. If you're somebody who's a bit self-conscious, have you ever noticed somebody who doesn't want people to notice them or is a little bit shy? I was very shy growing up, so I know w- w- this one. And the more that you're self-conscious, hoping people won't discover you or see you, what do you have in your radar? 
you all the time. And there's not even a chance to see who else is out there. Maybe a little, but if it's, oh gosh, am I okay? You, you don't realize this is what you, is your continual uh, reference point. And you, don't, you can't win in that. Because fear will keep you focused on the very thing that you're afraid of. I, I've shared this story here. Uh, it's been a while since I've shared it, and, and probably uh, a number of you uh, weren't here the last time I, I shared it. When I was a, a kid, um, learning how to ride a bike, uh, I had one of the great revelations around fear. Uh, it was the first... It was the, the big day that I was going to take off the training wheels and just discover for myself. And I was with my father. I was about, oh, maybe six or so. I don't know, six or seven or so, maybe, maybe five or six. And um, it was an early Sunday morning, and there was like nobody, it seemed, on our block. And he was with me for a while, and then at some point he said, okay, now you're off. You know that, that first time you ride a bike with all by yourself and you're balancing? And I was saying, wow, I'm really balancing here. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I hadn't mastered braking. Um, and I was going down the block and really enjoying the balance. Oh, I think I got the idea. And then all of a sudden, way in the distance, I could see a group of people. Uh, it was a Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. A group of people, uh, and some uh, men, women, and a baby carriage. <laughs> and I saw it, and I said to myself, is a baby carriage. Don't hit the baby carriage. It was like radar. <laughs> I hope that baby is doing fantastic in their life. I hit the baby carriage. And it was the last thing I wanted to do, obviously. I, I didn't ride a bike for a couple of years. It was just so traumatic. And it was, I hadn't thought about this in years afterwards, but in the last few years I, I remembered it very well. You know, sometimes all of a sudden a traumatic memory surfaces. Oh, wow, yeah, now I, I know why I get so anxious sometimes. And, you know. <clears throat> anyway, uh, that's what fear does if you're looking for what will frighten you, you go right to it. So this is another way of saying, uh, when your reference is on me, how am I doing? It's really the main thing in your radar, right? So um, I had a revelation a number of years uh, later when I was in my early 20s, it was actually 20, uh, 21, 22, um, when um, I 
understood, I saw in a very profound way. I write about it in Awakening Joy. It was a turning point in my life where I saw that um, the way I held myself as somebody who wasn't particularly um, fun, interesting, uh, and I was, like I said, I was very shy. With friends, with good friends, I could be myself, but meeting new people was hard, and particularly girls, and we called them girls in those days. I was you know, in my, my teens. No, by then I was like, yeah, I was 20, 21. And um, just was not very confident meeting, uh, meeting new girls, especially, you know, somebody who you think is out of your league. You know, I had girlfriends, but when it was like somebody, whoa, well, they wouldn't like me. And, um, or, or just uh, meeting new people that I was somewhat um, awed by or intimidated by, um, which is a lot of people. And I could see how if I wasn't good enough and I was... I didn't think that I was very interesting uh, to new acquaintances. You know, I, I wasn't going to be prom king, right? That, that that's the energy that you put out. And so I was you know, shy and anxious and nervous and all of those things. And it occurred to me one day that the more I thought of myself this way, that was the energy that I put out. And... Uh, I would just be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I decided in this very um, insightful um, moment, I was going to pretend that I was lovable and that people enjoyed being around me. I I figured, what do I have to lose? I was going to try a one-week experiment. That was what I said to myself. For one week, I'm just going to pretend or imagine that, um, that new people, you know, just that I'm okay and I would be um, lovable. That was the word that I used to myself. Well, maybe I, I'll just see what it's like to be lovable. And it was amazing this is 1968, so it's going on uh, 48 years now, that one-week experiment. Because when I stopped uh, wondering how I was doing, even glimpses, I got glimpses when I wasn't so focused on, oh, they're going to discover what a what a schlep I am, or whatever, that I actually could be interested in them. Oh, and who are you? I don't know, it just kind of worked out that way that rather than focusing on me, I started seeing, oh, it's actually possible to focus on the other person. How radical, you know, who knew? And when I focused on the other person and actually became interested in them, 
um, it was such a relief. I didn't have to be wondering how I was doing. I could tune into this show. And uh, I, I mentioned this in the Joy Care class a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and at the same time, um, I read a book that had a profound effect on me uh, called The Razor's Edge by Somerset Maugham. Uh, it was a, also a really good movie with Tyrone Power. But I read the book, and the, the main character, anybody read The Razor's Edge? Remember it? The main character is this guy, Larry Stallings, who was from like high, upper-class Chicago society. And, but he was a man of very few words. And he goes to India and has a spiritual awakening. And he comes back and he's completely changed and sees the, the society stuff doesn't hold interest for him at all. Uh, but he still has his friends, but he's, he's seen something. And they're all very interested in what he has to say. But he's a man of very few words. And his thing is, if you remember, if you, if you, I don't watch much TV except for sports uh, these days. Uh, but I used to watch TV. There was this old commercial by E.F. Hutton. And, and E.F. Hutton, the, who, the uh, stock, who had the, the, the stock inside secrets. And E.F. Hutton, E.F. Hutton says, and all of a sudden everybody hushes, oh, What's the stock tip? It was like that, that, that Larry Stalling, when he said something, even though he was a person of very few words, every word counted. And it gave me permission to realize I didn't have to be witty and brilliant or say something clever. I could just listen and just be interested and not have to fill up the space. And when I said something, it was because I had something to say, but mostly I was just more tuning into the other person. And people, little by little started, I could see, they, they, was, they would say, oh, you're so, it's so f- much fun to talk with you. Yeah, because there I, was, I was getting them to talk about themselves, much, much better than having me having to to talk and be brilliant. Oh, I've got this show, you know. And since then, you know, it's been my karma that I, I just really love. It's more, f- I know what's going on in here, and I get a chance to say enough as it is. It's, it's more interesting to find out what, oh, and what are you about? Um, you can't pretend. That's the thing. You can't kind of play at it. You have, it has to be somewhat somewhat sincere, uh, but it's just so much more um, of a relief and ease to be interested in others and take the focus off of me and put it on the other person. I'll never get through this. I had so much to say. Um, hmm. So, uh, I'll I'll move on. So, that's in essence somehow to take the focus off of how am I doing to be interested in others. 
And one way that that allows us whoops, to be interested in others is um, just being like a kid. Just being an interested kid. Where kids, sometimes they are, but often kids are, um, are not self-conscious in the same way. They, can not, they don't censor themselves. It's just whatever's coming out is coming out. And certainly we all know as kids being self-conscious too. So I, I'm not, it's not black or white. But, but often kids, when they're just being kids, are not self-conscious and just themselves and spontaneous, haven't learned the full socialization and all of that, all that goes with that yet. And so being a kid and being interested is, uh, has been a real doorway, just remembering what it was like to be a kid. Um, and this is what Jesus said as well. I, one of my favorite spiritual quotes is from the Bible, something like, uh, except ye be converted as children, you will not know the kingdom of heaven. When you can be childlike and have a sense of wonder and curiosity, um, often the self-referencing doesn't get in the way. And having that sense of awe and investigation... when you're not trying to impress, when you're just being yourself and just being interested. And this is also some of the highest Buddhist teachings too. Uh, perhaps some of you have heard of the, the, the great master Sung Sang, Sun Sanim or Sung Sang, whose main teaching was don't know mind. I've mentioned it here before, you know. What's the meaning of life? Don't know. He had a, a very thick Korean accent. It was just so in, in, uh, enchanting, you know. Where, wh- where are you going in your life? Don't know, you know. Why are you how you are? Don't know. And his teaching was just keep don't know mind. And then you'll be okay. Then you'll, you'll freedom from the known and from your concepts and from your, um, from your small um, filters of experience, letting go of knowing. Um, who is it? Uh, Krishnamurti has a wonderful book, Freedom from the Known. That's the, that's the key. And... Uh, uh, Freedom from the known. Don't know mind. And the third Zen patriarch is another thing I want to mention, who, which I've quoted from here before. The, the one that starts the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. It's, it's my favorite piece of Dharma. The third Zen patriarch. Verses on the faith mind by Sengstan. Third Zen patriarch. And there's a few lines in there that point to this childlike 
uh, attitude. Uh, stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. When you let go of trying to figure it all out, stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. It's like you let go of the conceptual mind and you're just meeting the moment fresh. Another line that I've quoted here many times, one of my favorite of all, to live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To let go of being perfect and just being yourself. This is the highest realization. And I, I brought something in with me as I was putting these thoughts together uh, before watching the first half of the basketball game. That was the incentive I figured. Oh, I've got enough here to, to get a talk. Now I can watch the game. I... I um, I brought in uh, something that, uh, that's, that hangs in our, uh, our bathroom, one of our, uh, one of our two bathrooms, uh, that I, uh, I hung from um, a, a tricycle magazine many, many years ago. Uh, I, in fact, I can tell you 22 years ago, uh, because my son is in here at age seven. He's now age 29. Um, and it, it asks a whole lot of kids... Um, talking about the Buddha. Who was the Buddha? So here's some childlike expressions. Mm. Uh, Seven-year-old Evan, the Buddha was a guy who sat under the Bodhi tree until he understood the meaning of life. Pretty good. Um, Caroline Cornfield, Jack's daughter, age eight. She's a year older than Adam. Mm. I think Buddha is light. In this light is a triangle of all colored light, and inside the light is a human, animal, sea, creature, bird, being. Mm. Brooke, age six. He's a good meditator. He's the first Buddhist. He's very special. Um, But my favorite, I'll just get on with the talk. My favorite just happens to be a seven-year-old named Adam Barris who said, he said, Buddha to me Buddha is to me like somebody who is pure. He's not like a god. He has a good heart and he questions. I really think he's just a man and he's just natural. I mean, he's just himself. People look up to him because he's so talented in many ways. I love that line. He's just a man and he's just natural. I mean, he's just himself. Can we just be ourselves? Which is also a, a teaching from uh, Suzuki Roshi in, in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. There's a beautiful introduction where one of his students says, it's not that the Roshi is some 
amazing, fantastic person. He does have many extraordinary qualities. His, uh, his clarity, his wisdom, his, uh, I remember one term, his uncanny perspicacity. But the, the student says, but in the end, what is so extraordinary about this man, this Roshi, is his utter ordinariness. And in being so completely himself, he's like a mirror for everyone to see their own true self. So, Suzuki Roshi, my son Adam at age seven, but the same, it's the same thing. You're just being yourself and not trying to impress anyone. That's impressive. You know when you're around somebody who's not trying to impress anyone, who's just completely natural in themselves? It makes, doesn't it make you feel like you can relax and just be yourself? That's impressive. And the paradox is when someone is trying to be impressive, it's not very impressive, is it? Because they're trying. They're trying a little extra. When we're around, when we're around our, our good friends, then we can relax and just be ourselves. But sometimes when we're around somebody who's new, who we're trying, we hope will like us, maybe if I'm a little bit more than myself, they'll think I'm special, worthy of their attention. And it just works the opposite way. So uh, being like a kid and being just yourself, one doorway to this taking the focus off of me And another aspect of being like a kid is making your practice like a game. I talk about this a lot. I find it so helpful, so important. We can get so serious about practice. Yes, I'm a I'm a Buddhist and I'm a meditator and you know I I am very serious about my practice, you know. And oh gosh, my mind wandered for eighty five percent of the time which is actually pretty good. If you're, if you're here 15% of the time in a daily sitting, you're doing pretty good. But there you are. Oh, I'm, I wandered again. Come on back. Whereas if you can have a playful attitude and just be like a kid and make it like a game, then both with your spiritual practice, with your wandering mind, with the ways that you blow it and say, wow, look at the mind. And you can be in on the joke instead of taking it so personally and so seriously. Then there's a lightness to your practice. So this is another way of taking the focus off of me. How am I doing? And just being okay completely who you are. Being just yourself. So here's the practice I do want to share with you, a a practice that hopefully you can play around with this week, and I'd be actually very interested if you did and wanted to let me know how it goes. This might be something that you do already, 
But for me, the big revelation in that one-week experiment that I didn't realize was happening, but along with the being interested in the other person, it became a kind of um, natural metta practice where I just um, was getting into the fact, oh, here's this this other being worthy of my attention, who are they? And I found that I, when I wasn't so self-conscious, I actually liked getting to know others. And I didn't know anything about metta at the time. That came a few years later. But we all have natural metta. When you're with others and you're just having a good will and you're feeling at ease or you're in a playful mood and you're having fun and you just are seeing the good in people, this is not something unique to me. We all have this. But to do it as a practice, that was the radical thing for me because I was so busy wondering how I was doing, that there wasn't any room for me, except when I was with people that I felt so comfortable and loved. Um, There wasn't so much room for me to just wish others well, not with any phrases, just with my interest, just with my um, saying, hi, how you doing? Oh, nice to meet you. We all... I think, unless we're very damaged, we all know what this is like. But to do it consciously as a practice changed my life. And that's not to say I, you know, I, I have had many years of self-consciousness. It wasn't like all of a sudden, oh, that week, now I got to figure it out. I've been still working on this for the last 40 years you know, 50, uh, 48 years. But it becomes more and more your default setting. And I got the idea, oh, this is available and can be practiced more and more to just have goodwill with someone and to have the spirit, whether or not you're saying it consciously, of wishing them well. So I wanted to make this more than theoretical I wanted to um, invite you for a little while, just for a few minutes, and we'll get out of here at 9.30. I do have the game to go back to, and don't worry. Um, to just try this as, uh, it, it's, and I'm sure it's not going to be new to you, but to try it consciously, perhaps even with somebody that you don't know so well. But it can be anybody, uh, whoever feels comfortable for you. I'd like you, if you feel up to it, don't feel you have to. I don't want to put it on anyone who, who doesn't want to. But if you feel up to it, to turn to somebody near you in a moment, not just yet, and to just have a little conversation about... Uh, Let's see. Uh, oh, what your what your uh, next few days will be like, 
Uh, you can talk about what you're going to do tomorrow or what you have coming up in your life. Nothing profound. And, um, and each of you will spend uh, like about four minutes. We, that's about what we have time for. Just a free flow of conversation. But here's, here's the extra deal in it. Be interested when the other person is talking and have a, let it be a meta practice. So you're interested and just enjoying, maybe enjoying the fact that you don't have to say anything then or that you can tune into somebody. But when it's your turn to speak, uh, just know that somebody is interested in you. But just having a spirit of, without saying any phrases, Oh, may you be well, may you be happy. And just letting yourself, even if it's pretending that you're enjoying it, uh, enjoying the exchange. And the, the difference is rather than, what do they think of me? It's an outflow of energy. It's an outflow of, oh, may you be well. That's the essence of, of, of metta. May you be well. So it's both interest and outflow of, of goodwill. Okay? Can you do that for a, a few minutes? And turn to, right now to somebody if you need, if you want. And if you need a partner, then raise your hand and just look for somebody else who's... Um, who, and, and you can be with somebody that you know. It's okay. Uh, uh, but anyone who needs a partner... Okay, raise your hand. And it can be, you can, have, you can have a threesome if you want. It's a little bit harder, but go, if you're a three up there, you can just do it. And just for the next few minutes, um, say hi to each other. Remember the metta practice in the back, in the background, yeah. Okay, just another few moments. And okay, finish up where you are, and now just finishing up your sentence, and now just go inside for a moment. Go inside and just notice whatever your experience is. Notice how it feels in there. To just hang out with somebody and energetically wish them well as you're tuning into them and sharing yourself. Okay, you can thank your partner and come on back. So, we, we, we need to end in, uh, in a few moments. Mm.
But now that you've made good friends with uh, whoever you're with, um, what's that? No, no, no. Come on back. Come on back. Yeah. Oh, you didn't. Oh, who did? Oh, you thought it was just one side. Oh, I sh- I'm sorry. I meant to uh, say it just a free flow. Take one minute if you, if, you, if you need. Okay, sorry. I meant to have both of you. Okay, once again, uh, go inside for a moment. Uh, I apologize for not being clear on that. And uh, notice whatever your experience is, whether you were sending or receiving. It's like you're creating a, a meta field together, just hanging out together. Okay, so now you can thank your partner and come on back. Um, sorry about that. I hope you um, did. Uh, did you uh, anybody um, get a sense of the difference of taking the focus off of me and just just having a? It's like an outflow of energy. Fun, isn't it? And. I'm sure, you know, th- like I said, this is not new to you, but I would encourage you, if you tend, if you tend to be self-conscious, as so many of us, or in, in whatever situation you tend for that to happen, to just play around this week with having this be your meta in action practice where you're, uh, there's an outflow of goodwill ra- and as the title of the talk was taking the focus off of me and just being interested and uh, playful and uh, shining a spirit of goodwill. You probably do this when you're with your friends. All I'm, all I'm saying is play around with doing this with people that you might not normally, like even in you know, business meetings or in, uh, in, in professional areas. Everybody wants to be in a field of safe, loving energy. And metta is given as a protection. That, that was where, how it first supposedly came to be, that it's a protection against danger, and the main danger is the danger that we cause ourselves. So it's a protection as you are wishing others well. And what a gift that you give to everyone as well. So taking the focus off of me and... Uh, enjoying the field of metta that you can help create, co-create, and uh, invite others to join as well. So I'm sorry we don't have a, a chance to, to check in and see what
what that was like. Um, if you want to um, let me know briefly after after we end, I'll briefly I'll <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll be I will be interested. So we can just close with a with a short uh, loving kindness and. Uh, and including yourself in the loving kindness, just feeling your own goodness inside. Don't miss that. And wishing yourself well. May I feel all the goodness and the love inside and, and share my love well. With as many people as... Uh, as I can by just feeling relaxed and good enough. And may I see through my fears and connect with my true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings no ease and peace and share their love well and awaken to their true nature. So, thank you very much for your attention. It was Fun hanging out with you. <clears throat> and uh, if you'd help with the chairs, that, that would be really uh, great too. Have a great week. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.